0: Welcome to The Creators Adventure, where we interview creators from around the world hearing their stories about growing a business. Today's guest started her career as a journalist and got to interview people like Steve Jobs, and since then she's become a five-time serial entrepreneur growing four businesses to seven and eight figures. Hey everyone, I'm Brian McConnell on the Founder Pipes platform. Let's get into it. <music> Hey everyone, we're here today with Melinda Whitstock. She's the founder of Palopolo, a podcast app that makes listening, social, and podcasting profitable for creators and advertisers. She is a five-time serial entrepreneur who founded companies in media and tech, growing four businesses to seven and eight figures. Melinda is also an award-winning journalist and executive spanning the world's biggest media brands and host of the Entrepreneur Magazine top-ranked Wings of Inspire Business podcast. Melinda, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Sure. So my first question for you is, what would you say is the biggest thing that either you did or you are doing that's helped you to achieve the freedom to do what you enjoy?
1: Oh, what a wonderful question. I love that. And and I'm, I'm, I'm going to look a little bit within because I think one of the things that I've learned along uh, the journey of a serial entrepreneur is that ultimately success comes from within you. Uh, and I think it's something that I wish I'd understood a little bit earlier, like in my twenties, thirties, forties, even, um, that it really is to do with your mindset and it's to do with enjoying the journey and it's to do with a whole bunch of things. I mean, I joke to people that if you want therapy, just become an entrepreneur, (laughs) <laughs> um, because surely it's going to confront you with all sorts of things, deep subconscious beliefs and such, uh, that you have that aren't even yours. You know, they were formed when you were a toddler. You might've overheard your parents arguing or something on a TV show or all manner of experiences. We make those things mean something about us. And then, and then we find that, you know, as entrepreneurs or executives or any other job that you could do in your life, you're basically the world's being run by toddlers. <laughs> and so how to How to let go and release a lot of those things and and uh, some of the triggers that definitely happen as an entrepreneur because you 're creating something out of whole cloth uh, that hasn 't been done before um, in many cases or you 're up against things that you can 't control. And circumstances are going to trigger you and those things are opportunities uh, for your growth. And ultimately, I think the word freedom was in the question and uh, it, it's very, very important because when you're free to just be who you are and like fully accept yourself and free to be in the present moment, that's where the magic of creation and scaling and attracting great teams and all those things, uh, that, that have to happen to make you, uh, extraordinarily successful as an entrepreneur. So I, I would say, uh, there are many more, I've got a long list, but I I'd say it all comes down to that. Everything emanates from that.
0: Awesome. All right. Yeah. I like that. So since you were little, you always had a entrepreneurial mindset and we read on your website that As a a five-year-old, you went door-to-door in your neighborhood to pre-sell this show that you were putting on. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And what do you think sparked your entrepreneurial spirit at such a young age?
1: You know, I really have no idea. I think about this a lot. Like, I I wonder, like, did I hear my parents arguing about money or something and think that like, oh, well, I guess someone's got to do something about it. I, I really don't know. I just remember I had this idea for this show and I just couldn't fathom that, you know, any reason why everyone wouldn't want to see it. (laughs) So I'm not sure. I just had this kind of internal confidence that of course, you know, everyone's going to want to come to the show, you know? So I went around with my black Labrador retriever knocking on doors, demanding prepayment for the show, because of course, somewhere I knew inside that prepayment was important. And I came home and I I had a hundred dollars. Because wow. the ticket price was a dollar, which I thought was fair, you know. And um, and I asked my dad, where could we get 100 chairs? And he was like, what? What have you been doing? And it was back in the day when, you know, kids used to be able to go out kind of unsupervised and walk around hmm. the neighborhood. <laughs> I don't know if that could Ring happen today. doorbell. Yeah. Some like tight organized play date or something. But, uh, but yeah, and, and the show, uh, you know, it had music, it had costume changes. And, and at the time I was doing ballet and figure skating. So it was very kind of artistic. And, and I, I love just the, the production of like producing things, uh, which I guess might explain why all my companies have, have, have had a lot to do with content.
0: (laughs) Hmm, Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, jumping forward, you started your career at 22 years old. Uh, you were living in London, working for the times as a journalist writing about business and you got Mm -hmm. to meet Steve jobs and interview him together with other high profile entrepreneurs. So how did this period in your life influence both your journey as an entrepreneur and your professional career?
1: Oh, gosh, so many ways. And a a, a terrific question. I mean, the the journalistic bug bit back in uh, uh, university at at McGill in Montreal, it had a daily student newspaper. So I was the kid there that was writing stories every day and like breaking news and doing these big investigative scoops. One of them got picked up by the Wall Street Journal. Uh, But meantime, you know, somehow, like if I made it to class, you know, I was also creating the uh, advertising department uh, for the student newspaper. Um, And and making it profitable. And so it, 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 I I remember all my friends telling me when I said, Hey, I'm going to go to London and work for one of the national dailies there. And like every single one of my friends said, you can't do that. And I was like, well, why not? And I guess it was totally against the odds, but here's the, the, here's the critical thing. I just couldn't imagine why not? Like I couldn't even see the no, I couldn't even, right. Right. And I think this is a necessary character trait for very successful entrepreneurs and apparently journalists and uh, you know didn't immediately get the job in The Times of London I worked very very hard to get that job I, I became a financial correspondent I uh, learned a, a tremendous amount from that early those early days of just reporting on company results and mergers and acquisitions and understanding all this and all manner of companies across all industries. I started specializing in this new thing called the internet and also media. And I was the media correspondent and, uh, you know, got to meet, you know, so many uh, incredible sort of uh, 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 titans of industry, whether it was uh, spending a whole day with Richard Branson or getting to interview Steve Jobs or Ted Turner or whatever. And I was a type of journalist who, I always want to know where the story was going next and actually what it meant. Uh, for people, uh, in their, in their daily lives. And I have always been obviously very interested in business. So I wanted to understand their secrets, um, and, and, and such. So I just learned a lot, uh, from them that, um, obviously has shaped, uh, my business career.
0: Awesome. I, I want to go back to how you mentioned the, uh, the idea of the why not? I really like that. And, um, <laughs> I, I agree that that's necessary in some way, um, to yeah, really become if you can't, a successful entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, like if you can't conceive it, there's no way you can achieve it it's as simple as that. So, so you have to just be a little bit crazy. I mean, to the point where your friends just think you're completely nuts. And if you don't mind them having that opinion of you, then, then you're probably suited to be an entrepreneur Uh, because everybody around you will tell you things and and they mean, well, you know, it's not like they're trying to kind of push you down or keep you down or whatever. They're just concerned for you. (laughs) You know, don't you think it would be safer to get like a job job? You know, don't you think it would be right? But that kind of thing can really hold you back. So, so it's very necessary for an entrepreneur to have a group of people around them that really do have their have their backs, you know what I mean? And that like and allow that that dreaming well being constructive in the constraint, right? So you don't like, you know, jump off a, you know, uh, you know, but you 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 really do have a, have to have a little bit, especially if you if you're the type of person like me that says, I'm gonna build a billion dollar business. Uh, there's a lot of not a lot of people who can say that with a straight face.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that um, I would encourage anybody who has, has these thoughts and they're thinking to themselves, why not? But then they, mm-hmm. they're, they're met with this confrontation they of out of it. when they, when they tell their friends, you yeah, know, they're getting talked out of it. Um, yeah. I, I think it's important to, to lean into that thought that like, if you feel why not, then chances are maybe that's something good. And, and I can attribute a lot of good things that happened to me from having those same feelings of well why not it, it might it seems crazy to some other people have told me but me it's i i can't i can't figure out the reason why not so why not go and do well,
1: it thanks- yourself too is like what's the worst that could happen right and once mm-hmm. you go through that I mean you know if, if, if you're if you're a startup if you have a failure in a startup I mean a startup is like uh, being a scientist in a lab you know I mean you have a hypothesis you test it you test it six ways from Sunday it takes a while it's iterative it's a very agile process and then and then you get it right and so failure is part of the process so you have to be comfortable with failure you have to be comfortable you have to really see it in a positive way it's an opportunity it's feedback and whatnot and it doesn't mean anything bad about you, but like worst case scenario, just go get that job that you were going to get. It's still you're still going to be able to do that, you know. You're still going to be able to, or a different startup, or maybe that one didn't work, but there's something else, you know. So, so I I think thinking in that kind of way, it's it's a big mindset shift I think for a lot of people because you know our our society doesn't our society is getting better at teaching that, but. For the most part our school system doesn't it teaches us to be good workers it teaches us you know uh just to come do the work leave on that kind of employee mindset rather than a more entrepreneurial one
0: yeah definitely definitely i agree so now you're the ceo and the founder of palapolo an ai-powered mm-hmm. platform uh revolutionizing the podcast industry mm-hmm. how did you come up with the, with the idea for that and what have been <laughs> some of both the biggest challenges and successes so far that you've experienced.
1: Oh, 100%. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. So uh, a little bit of a long story. I mean, all my previous companies, so this is my fifth significant business. There have been other side hustles and other kind of things along the way as well. Uh, but each of my previous businesses, well, you could think of as my lab for this because they all had some sort of algorithmic component uh, at that intersection between using technology to change media or social media and such. Uh, they all had the theme of the best content is conversation. Uh, and, and such. So a lot of the different things that are going on in Podopolo, I've proven out previously in, in uh, a, a number of these other companies that I've built, you know, over the years. Uh, but Podopolo specifically, um, I started podcasting myself a little over five years ago. And I came out podcasting as an award-winning content creator. I'd created a show for the BBC and I'd grown that television show to a 20 million audience in a very short period of time. I'd created uh, Financial Times, uh, the newspaper Financial Times Television and brokered a deal to get that distributed all over the world on, on CNBC. You know, I'd done all these things. You know, I had business expertise, marketing expertise, technological expertise and whatnot. And here I come, I launch a podcast and oh my God, it's like really difficult to be discovered up against the Apple algorithms. Apple was kind of the only game in town at that stage, right? It was really hard to grow an audience. Uh, It wasn't enough just to create a great podcast. You had to suddenly become a really great SEO expert. You had to be on social media all the time. You had to be doing this, that, that, whatever. And it was near impossible to monetize a show unless you had more than 10,000 downloads an episode. And uh, just, just as a marker here, only 1.5% of all podcasts in the world reach 10,000 downloads an episode. So, so most, and, and in fact, 80, like some podcasters are really enterprising and they figure out all these different side hustles to make money from their podcast, which I did. At one point, I had six different side hustles around my podcast, like creating like online summits or like membership courses or like masterminds, like events, like and all these different things. And I realized, wait a minute, I have six businesses I've created just to support my podcast. There's something really wrong with that. This doesn't like, make any sense. So there was this sense that there was a structural problem. Uh, for podcast creators, and I looked around i didn't see anybody solving it. I saw all the big platforms, apple, Spotify, everywhere, and the social networks by extension, just treating podcasters as as the product because if it's mm. free, you're the product and that offended me, I guess right uh, Something has to change there, so that was the first little glimmer what can i what can I do about that, and through that lived experience. And then the next was being at a podcast mastermind. We all went out around the room and shared our download numbers and, you know, 40 successful podcasters. Um, And I thought, gosh, you know, like if we all got together, actually, we could be bigger than Netflix. And I looked at a podcast industry that was very fractured. And there was nobody really like we've seen the growth of a lot of kind of podcast networks of like folks getting together based on shared themes and things like that and trying to aggregate so they can drive advertising and all of that's very, very positive. Um, but having a background in, in mobile app development and and in the beginnings of very, very beginnings of AI and, and in content and whatnot, uh, that's really where uh, Podopolo uh, came from. So the app is doing three very significant things. The first, I would say, is really revolutionizing podcast discovery, using AI to power a recommendation engine that puts the right podcast, you know, sends the right podcast or clip or playlist to the right person at the right time around their interests, you know, and also their behavior on the app, but also by extension, you know, their friends uh because the second part is uh Podopolo is really leveraging podcasting to remake social media itself the nature of podcasting is very intimate and authentic people tend to listen to podcasts because they want to learn something or have a, like a positive experience and so connecting people to each other around podcasts helping people to put what they're learning from a podcast into action in their daily lives but moreover Really, where we look at social media right now and we see kind of like, I'm just going to say it, a cesspit of like judgment, outrage, you know, all the things, right? If you can write an algorithm to reward that, you can just as easily write an algorithm as we have to reward more positive empowerment and enlightenment and such. And and we see podcasting as a really nice jumping off point to that, And of course, the third leg of the stool is the creator economy and all the different ways in which podcasters who've been left out of the equation through a structural problem around advertising, but also through other things like subscriptions and tip jars and uh, myriad other solutions can actually start to make money uh, from their podcast for the first time as Podopolo also helps them grow their reach and grow their engagement through all the social tools.
0: Cool. Yeah. Well, I 100% agree with what you're saying. Um, having also built a, a business it's uh, a platform in the creator economy, and um, <laughs> for me, what what were you saying about the? Uh, um, so yeah, it's hard to monetize. It's hard to grow to reach, and uh, and how social media works. Yeah. So like, yeah. part of my thought in in building Heights Platform with what we built is there's these social media companies, there's these video games that they have psychologists and and teams of people focused on how can we get you to spend as much time on the app as possible so then they can show you as many ads as possible or so that you yeah. can buy more things from them or whatever it is. So my thought was, well, why can't we use that for a good reason, to help people learn? And so that that was some of the uh, the kind of initial thoughts behind Hyde's platform as we started building that. And I like to hear that with Podopolo, it's a similar idea that, well, why can't we create an ag- algorithm that's going to have a positive impact like this?
1: A hundred percent. I think it's great, your approach. I mean, I think we're sort of thinking alike here, because uh, one of the things Podopolo, as it gets more sophisticated over the course of this year, as our AI gets continues to get more sophisticated, our recommendation engine, just all the feature functionality and such, I mean, we're still relatively new, uh, but uh, with each iteration, it gets more and more powerful. And one of the aspects of this is gamification. Because if you really understand uh, what really rewards people and and like in any community, people want to uh, feel seen and heard, Uh, but in really like deep dive, sophisticated gamification is about really understanding what is a meaningful reward. So you might be motivated by a sense of ownership, or you might be motivated by a sense of epic meaning and calling, or maybe it's social connection, or maybe it's achievement or such, Right. And so how can we leverage that to really, uh, in not only incentivize people to put learning into action, but to, uh, contribute in a way that lifts other people up, um, and such, and, you know, it's early days, but that kind of folds into some of our work on the AI, uh, to, to, uh, to, to, to really work that. So rather than having some sort of restrictive content moderation, that is, uh, you know, censoring, we, so we really don't want to do that. We want really a plurality of opinion and free speech and all these things, which are very kind of au courant at the moment to be talking about. But, um, you know, you, you want all of those things, but at the same time you want to really reward, uh, so it's carrot or stick. It's maybe a little bit of combination, uh, but it's, it's a big problem to go solve. Um, but we think that podcasts and shared interest communities where people are already gotten together around something that they jointly want to learn, or there's a connection that they can make that would either advance their career or somebody they want to hire, or they're just, you know, having a conversation or an epiphany with friends, uh, uh, that, that can make a really big difference and, and have a positive impact in the world.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Again, I like to hear that, uh, with our platform as well. Uh one of the first things when we started building it was gamification elements and, and realizing yeah. how important that oh, is. God, and so, <laughs> so to everyone listening here, um, Melinda and I are not here just to promote our businesses or whatever. Um, we have not spoken together until two minutes before I hit record here. Um so we're we're both discovering all all of this about each other at the same time here as well. But um yeah, I, I like to hear that too.
1: It's great. Well, actually, it's really funny about this. Cause like when, when you have an idea, chances are, you know, uh, like a lot of other people are having the same idea, but there's so many different, uh, ways in which it can be implemented. And, and, you know, I like to come at this from a place of abundance There really is room, uh, you know, you know, for everybody, I think sometimes some founders get kind of paranoid, like, Oh, I'm not going to share my idea because someone's going to steal okay. it. And that's just like, so ridiculous. It's all in the execution and everybody, every founder is going to go about it in a different way. And, um, uh the more the merrier and and especially in in something where entrepreneurship can uh and business can be leveraged for social good you know to improve our society rather than just take from it
0: yeah yeah completely agree um and yeah i would encourage anybody listening to this to say to themselves like or or to to go out there and, and take action and and release that thing or or not be afraid of telling people about the thing um even before it's quite ready because um like the way I think about it is, if you're worried that your competition is going to see that and and then do that right away, well, they're always going to be a step behind you. If all they're doing is just trying to see what you're doing and then and then copy it, so that's the best case, being a step behind you. But then also, as you said, like they're not you. They're going to have a different way that they're going about going about it in some way. And um, so you can you can tell somebody what you're doing, but you can't like give them your brain and, and your way of yeah. implementing it.
1: And the other answer to an investor, if you're, if you have a type of business that needs investment, like Podopolo is, you know, they they say, well, why isn't Google doing this? Well, I don't know. Like they're not like, just look at what happened between them and chat GPT, right? They haven't really been innovating when, when companies get very, very large, uh, it's much harder to innovate because, uh, and it's just the whole disruption. You think of say Kodak, which led in digital photography, but, but digital photography was going to cannibalize their main business. This is like the innovators' dilemma. So these large companies, and really the line to always use with investors is, I don't know, they can uh, build it or they can buy it. Uh, so you know, startups, you know, uh, often get bought because uh, you're you're creating you're creating value. Um, in a significant way, uh, that some of the larger folks, uh, you know, you'd think with all their money and all the talent and all the engineers and whatnot, they'd be able to innovate, but they become very burdened with a bureaucracy of that. And we've seen that over the years at, at all these big tech giants now, right. Uh, where it takes an yeah, upstart 100%. always, uh, to power the innovation.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Um, that's, that's one of the reasons, um, I, I like, trying to grow very deliberately and, and stay as small as possible with our team to, to keep that, that spirit of innovation as long as possible and avoid the, the bureaucracy mm-hmm. and all that. Uh, of course, it, it, it what we're talking about and what you're discussing is like Google versus like a startup. It's a huge, huge difference, but um, still, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, we're I agree. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so obviously, um, You've, you know, and you've been learning a lot about AI and technology. Um, you've spoken at a number of events uh, regarding uh, like the future of AI and social media. What do you think are some of the most exciting developments in this field? How do you see kind of AI shaping the future of business um, or even society?
1: Yeah. Oh, gosh. Very, very big question. Um, and so let's, let's think about business. There's so many different ways in which it can be applied for lots of different reasons, whether to increase the efficiency of a business um, or just uh, as business becomes more data-driven. So I can talk about it in the context of Podopolo first more easily um, and also some of the implications. And so the way we use AI specifically is to first off power that personalization um, of the recommendation engine. And, And this works almost like matchmaking, right? Where the more we know about what actually interests uh, a pod, an average podcast listener, right, from what they tell us and what they actually listen to and, and such. Uh, the more we understand which podcasts are going to be relevant to them and we can recommend those podcasts to them. The other side of it, and why podcasters are growing their reach on Podopolo, is because they're being put in front of audiences that we know are pre qualified. Uh, for their podcast, like they're already interested in that in that topic, you know. For instance, and there's other ways of doing it as well, but the AI also is able to go into the transcript, say, of a podcast. And be able to tag it and actually understand what are all the different topics that were discussed. So like this podcast here right now, it could be about entrepreneurship, but it's about so much more. It's about AI and it's about, you know, it's about mindset and it's about this and that and like so many different things. And so being able to understand that is is critical, not only to really change the game for advertising, it speaks to brand safety. It speaks to making sure that people always have relevant content um, and so much more. But it also helps us and it helps podcasters understand their audiences. So here's an important caveat. Podopolo puts user privacy first and foremost. Like we don't sell data. We don't share data. We don't expose first party data. We don't do any of that. So like privacy is sacrosanct. And that's one of the reasons why when we're sharing the AI driven audience insights, uh, we group them in personas. Uh, so it's like, you know, Joe, you know, tends to listen to podcasts while jogging in the morning. He's like 62% of your audience. Here are all the things you need to know about Joe. (laughs) Okay. Right. Um, and a lot of these, uh, like overlap audiences where we could say to you, okay, so you, uh, this podcast has an overlap with, uh, I don't know, crypto or like people who like comedy or whatever, but also where you share overlap audiences with other podcasts that allow you to take action based on that data, whether to make your content more responsive because you understand how people are listening, when they're listening, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, all, all of this rich, rich data. There's no other platform that shares that with the podcasters. It allows the creator to be more responsive to their audience, but it also allows for that kind of targeted um, advertising. So those are just a few of the ways um, that we're using AI. Um, there's There are going to be in the generative AI space and what's called general AI. This is where AI starts to get sentient. And this is where we start to think about oh my gosh, like the implications for society are huge. So just step back a couple minutes at the, at the origin of social media. It was so exciting. Like think of all the things you could do. You know, think of like the role Twitter played in like democracy movements around the world and like how positive and amazing. Like everything, there's two sides of a coin. That same thing that allows that is also a mirror to us in our society. It also allows... You know, genocide. Like you know, there was you know Facebook actually being tied to 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 genocides in certain parts of the world as as the platform allowed for not only conspiracy theories, but just and you know really, you know there's a real impact to that. So now, if think about that for a moment, now think about AI. <laughs> and 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 just even with chat GPT or any of these things, all of its information is coming from what's on the internet already. What's on the internet already? is a hodgepodge of good and bad um right um and it's going to take all of its information and it's going to mirror us back and so you know uh when at 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 padoplo we're very very focused on ethical ai so you've got to think about okay so what are the biases that are already in the ai right um, how can the AI be ethical? We've had all kinds of issues about just even facial recognition, even with like Tesla cars not recognizing African American people as pedestrians. I mean, you know, there are some really, really serious implications here. So I don't think it's settled. I think it requires significant oversight. It's, it's um, somewhat worrying when you have a whole bunch of octogenarians in our, our, our uh, you know, in our government, like, say, in the Senate or whatever, who can't, can't even understand how Facebook works. And they've got to figure out how to regulate AI. You know, so it's going to be interesting. And I think what it means, though, and I come full circle back to the more optimistic side, but also the necessity for companies like yours and what Podopolo is doing is helping people to think more critically so they can evaluate, so they can stop, take a couple of breaths. Like, can I really believe this? What is the, and this may be my journalistic background, but what's the source here? Like, (laughs) I mean, right? because it's going to be mm-hmm. very difficult to establish trust in that sort of scenario. Uh so it's a very big topic like we could talk for hours about AI. I think a lot of it is really awesome. Uh there's so much good that's going to come out of it, but I think there's a lot of dangers as well that we have to go in like really think very very clearly and level-headedly about.
0: Yeah. Definitely I agree. And uh yeah, it's it's a, it's difficult to get into it with how uh how long we could probably discuss that in itself <laughs> yes. i think that um it's true one of the interesting things that I, everyone can keep in mind as they they start to look into things like chat gpt and, and what's becoming more prevalent right now is the idea of using ai to a- augment things that you're doing i think people who say of like having it do things for you i think have their a little bit of the wrong idea yeah, depending on how I they agree. describe it but um I think it's better to provide the AI with information of of what you want it to understand or or know about you and and then have it help you evaluate things help you research things help you accomplish things rather than do something for you cuz you say hey AI write me write me this and that's all you say um it's not giving you anything different than what it's going to give everybody else there's no there's nothing good about that um and well, the other thing creative, too that right? so.
1: yeah, but the other thing too that ChatGPT found through the integration with Bing is where hmm. ChatGPT can I think they call it hallucinate.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> and what's its what's the what they're trying to work on right now? Just fascinating to me is where it's being really kind of you know factual, and where it's being creative. And how do you know, yeah. or hallucinating was the word. I think that was pretty funny. Yeah, But I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. It that's, is very-
0: a, that's a huge problem. <laughs> so what what I would say about that is, um, so our company, we, we started building like an internal AI for ourselves on like company documents, things like that. So we could basically be able to get answers quicker without having to ask somebody else in our team. Um, yeah. And it's not something that we can release to like allow our customers to use yet because of the hallucination problem. And it's something that's really hard to get around because we, we told it like, um, okay, like try, like give us the source. If you if you know the source URL, like provide the source URL so we can go look up more. And like if there is if there is no specific URL for this this item, like don't share a URL. Um, and like we try to be really, really specific about that. But every once in a while it just shares a URL that just doesn't exist. It's like go to uh, heightsplatform.com here, and and we never wrote that. <laughs> it's just not there. Um, <laughs> it's like so, anyone yeah, would that, get that. <laughs> yeah, so that's a problem. But um, but yeah, I like the idea of like so you're talking about the the recommendation engine and and everything you're building there with the algorithm, and what's really cool is previously we had Google, we had things like that, and there was this power in being able to more easily discover things, but the the discovery still took a significant amount of effort that like you could spend all, all this time Googling and, and getting really good at that to find that specific thing you're after. And now to thanks find to. Yeah. Yeah. And so now thanks to open, like,
1: actually? yeah.
0: Oh, definitely. I think that actually there, there's so, yeah. there's so many articles now where they're just trying to get ad revenue and, and things like that. And it's not, it, it was better a couple of years ago than it is now actually, I think. Um, yeah. But- I find
1: I find like I can't get search results like just even something as simple like I live in Santa Monica and I was looking for like a, where is there a furniture store near me, and like it it didn't come up with any results which is it can't hmm. be that there are no furniture stores in Santa Monica California, and they were all way out and like I'd have to drive to Burbank or whatever. What I mean? So just that is it's really broken.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, now now things like algorithms, AI, everywhere that we're going with all this is making it so once you discover one thing or or something that you're interested in, like your recommendation engine can then go and show you all these other things that would have taken all this effort for you to have discovered in the past. So um, that's yeah. something I think is really neat. Um, the big challenge I've got, with
1: recommendations yeah the big challenge with recommendation mm-hmm. engines though just really briefly is the filter bubble and this is the issue that's led to so much disinformation or misinformation or earth one two three four where everybody has different facts and, and such right and it's a real problem mm-hmm. and so it's tricky to figure out how to personalize um, uh, because people are going to want more and more and more and they're going to go deeper deeper into that rabbit hole potentially so how do mm. you personalize well also expanding access to different information, different viewpoints, you know, in, uh, you know, assuming that you believe in a pluralistic society and one where diversity is a good thing, right? You want people, you want to broaden people's experience. So we, we play around a lot with what we call sort of Easter egg, where content that's really good. And this is, this is where friends sharing stuff can be interesting too, but we always provide these sort of surprises. And, So far, it's working in our data set because the average person comes into Podopolo, picks three interests, follows a couple of podcasts to begin with. But by about 10 days or 14 days or so in, have started to listen outside their predetermined interests and are now listening to more than 20 podcasts. And so that's something that we watch really carefully. Are people actually discovering things that they didn't know? like, is there some sort of surprise or delight? So like, you have to be aware of that with things like personalization and recommendation engines.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important to mention that you want to be able to, to broaden that discovery instead of saying, oh, I know the person likes this, only going to show them this. And then it's it's almost doing a disservice to them at that point. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, shifting away from that Um, You have years of experience in in building businesses, having founded five businesses um, to six uh, or to seven and eight figure success. So what do you think sets a successful entrepreneur apart from those who are really struggling to get their business off the ground?
1: Yeah, number one, you, you have to really, really love what you do and be like fanatical about your mission. Because stuff is going to go wrong, right? And and like there's going to be moments where like, oh, my God, I can't pay myself or how am I going to make payroll or like just all these kind of things that feel and can feel really existential. And so uh, there's a certain zeal, I think, that's really required that you just can't not do it, right? Uh, that's mm-hmm. vital, um, because I think that speaks to the the resilience that you need to do this. And of course, there's different types of businesses. You know, some are more risky than others. Like Podopolo is a big swing for the fence, you know, create something out of whole cloth, innovate, ch- disrupt, not just one, but several industries, you know? So like, that's like, you know, real kind of crazy uh, <laughs> in in a, in a certain sense, right? Like it's, it's, high, it's yep. high risk, but extraordinarily high reward. So actually understanding what you're, uh, risk tolerance is in that case and just what your pace is going to be. Uh, and, and I mean, the resilience, the other part of the resilience is the mental health part in a way, right. That, that I call is, is that, you really are an alchemist and you're growing at all steps of the process and the failures and the things really have to be seen as fail forwards as feedback, that it's, there shouldn't be any shame or anything like around that. Um, it's, it's just part of the process. Um, so I think that's really necessary. I think the other thing too, is that it is about the people that you're surrounded with. You, you really do need, a circle of people who really have your back um, and are gonna be encouraging and helpful and and such. And uh, I think a mistake that a lot of um, entrepreneurs make, especially women entrepreneurs actually, is hiring too late or seeing team members or uh, hiring as an expense rather than as an investment and really Mm -hmm. figuring out, because you just can't do it all by yourself. If you think you have to do it all, to have it all. Like you're, you're done before you're done. You've got to get really good at delegating. You got to get really good at receiving. You can't do it all yourself. So like the, the, the team is really critical. And again, all businesses are different. Some businesses don't really need like a, a big team, <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, then one last point on that, uh, this requires you to really know what your zone of genius is. I like to, like when we're hiring people, we ask, actually ask them this question, plot yourself on this four square zone of genius, zone of excellence, zone of of competence, and zone of suck, okay? And everybody has things on all four quadrants of that. Most people don't know what their zone of genius is. Chances are it's something that comes so intuitively to them that they don't even value it because it's so easy, because we've been acculturated to think that it's valuable if we've had to work hard for it. but, but actually your mm. zone of genius often presents itself. We, we started the podcast talking about, you know, my childhood adventure, you know, building my little show or whatever. There was a lot of clue there in terms of what my zone of genius is and like how I could put all these pieces together and make some, you know, whatever. Right. And there's some other like clues like that, but what's really intuitive to you is often a clue. Most people really don't know what that is. Zone of excellence, um, is something that you're better than 80% of the world at. I mean, you're really hands down great, but there's someone, else who, who can also do it, you know, um, as well as you, but you're really great. A lot of people operate there and neglect the zone of genius zone of competence is where you're doing something that's not intrinsic to you. Uh, you, you can do it. You're self-taught there's a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of things that I do and have had to do in the early stages of the business that are not intrinsic to me, but like I'll do because the the business has to advance. So someone's got to do it and roll up my sleeves, get it done, but someone else could do it wildly better. Right. And then zona suck yeah. is stuff that you hate to do and you're really bad at. So you got to, as an entrepreneur, you really got to figure out what that zone of genius is, and you got to hire your weaknesses because you got to cover all those things. And you can't do it as one person. It's impossible.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great advice, and and so many great points before that that you you really managed to condense into uh, a, a lot of things that could be said into a couple of really good points. Um, so that's great. But with with this last point <laughs> about the. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> mindful of our time just trying to fit in a whole bunch of value yeah there. no
0: that, that's great so with this last point of the uh the different zones and the uh, and, and thinking about where you spend your time i i think that's great and it ties back to your earlier point of that you should pick something that you're passionate about that you can keep doing all the time because of everything that's going to come up because i think as an entrepreneur no matter what you're going to have to do certain things that are are not the zone of genius all the time especially as you're starting are not the the thing that you enjoy doing. There's something you're gonna have to do that you don't necessarily enjoy doing. But one of the benefits is that you can hire, you can delegate those things to help yourself do more of what you enjoy doing. And yeah. so while, while there's difficult parts, you, you have this benefit that you wouldn't have in any other way if you weren't creating your own business to create it the way that you want it to be. Um, to to allow yourself to operate in that way as best as possible. And like example for me is like right now, the podcast, I get to sit down and talk with someone like you and enjoy that part. And that's, that's the best part of it for me. Whereas I have someone on my team, like reached out to you, someone on my team researched and helped me with the questions, things like that. I just get to sit down and do the fun part. And that way (laughs) I'm also able to go back after this. And then instead of having to, find out the next podcast or something like that, I can focus on my zone of genius, which is like building a product and, and all that. So yeah, I, I think that's really important uh, to mention. And I think you described it really well.
1: That's actually one of the all loveliest right, things got, about podcasts, actually. I find just with my hmm. own, it's almost 800 episodes now. It's like on my own personal mastermind wow. with all these amazing female founders, right? They've all built yeah, seven-figure, eight-figure, yeah. nine-figure businesses. And and, uh, and and what's really weird is it's all automated process, right? So guests show up on my calendar with everything kind of pre-filled. I tend to bounce into them five minutes before without really knowing much about the guest. I tend to be entirely conversational, like I'm approaching kind of beginner's mind. But it's not really because I've also been an entrepreneur for 30 years or whatever, right? So like just chances are like <laughs> I know something about or whatever, right? But I, I love it because the what's really weird, it's kind of serendipitous, is the right woman shows up on the right day weirdly in my calendar and always talking about something that I'm actually working on that day in the business. It's just the weirdest, yeah. spookiest thing that's going on with that at the moment with my show. So I love it. I get a lot yeah. from it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, if the podcast had like no marketing value to us, I would still want to do it just because of the people I get to sit down and talk with um, (laughs) and have that experience. So yeah, it's really helpful.
1: 100%. All right, so I've
0: got one more question for you before we get going. And that is that we like to ask everybody who comes on our show, um, if they have any questions that they would ask the audience. So if uh, (laughs) it could be something that you kind of want people to think about something that you're just genuinely curious about, so if you could ask our audience anything, what would that be?
1: Okay, I would ask them, and this one just, this was a natural evolution. What is your zone of genius? Really, what is awesome. your zone okay, of genius? Cool. Okay, and, and the follow-up question to that is now knowing your zone of genius, how do you want to use that genius to make the world better? Either as an awesome. entrepreneur yeah. or great, a podcaster.
0: Great question, great question, great thing to think about. All right, Melinda, thanks so much for coming on the show. Before we get going, where else can people find you online?
1: Oh my goodness. I'm kind of ubiquitous. So you can find me like on LinkedIn is kind of where I check in a little bit more often these days. So I'm just Melinda Whitstock and the company Podopolo is there as well. On Instagram, it's Podopolo or Melinda Ann Whitstock. That's Ann with an E, my middle name, which is like Weirdly exposed there. Um, and those are the two that I'm most um, on, but I come on all the other platforms too. You can follow Podopolo Network on Twitter and uh, we're also on Facebook and, and and such. And of course, come to podopolo.com. But most importantly download pedopolo it's free in either app store google or apple and when you get there uh follow me on on the app and i'll follow you back we have a nice little dm thing going on there so any questions you have for me or anything at all uh that's the the very best way to catch me
0: awesome all right that sounds great thanks so much for coming on the show melinda
1: Ah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Like any opportunity to geek out about any of this stuff like makes my day. So yeah, I had a good time. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Thanks. If you enjoyed this interview and want a chance to ask questions to our guests live, tune in on Tuesdays when new episodes premiere on the Heights Platform Facebook page. To learn more about the show and get notified when new episodes release, check out thecreatorsadventure.com. Until then, keep learning and I'll see you in the next episode.